If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night, John Katsimatidis, the number one show at 5 o'clock. And you'll find out what the heck is going on all over the place, and uh, we really, really uh, some interesting stuff. In the studio with us, we have Governor Pataki. We have two governors, a Democratic governor and a Republican governor. Governor Pataki, and we have Governor uh, Patterson. Patterson, of course. We have one congressman. We have Congressman Peter King. And a scientist, we have Dr. Peter Michalos, that has some New revelations about what the heck is going on with monkeypox, etc. And my sidekick, Lydia Serrani. Lydia, how are you? We have a fantastic show for everyone tonight. We'll be speaking with uh, Tom Homan. He'll be talking to us about what's going on at the border. Charlie Gasparina, what the heck is going on with the markets. Michael Dowling, the chief executive officer of Northwell Health. And we'll also be talking to uh, Curtis Sliwa. And I know... About that that uh, bodega worker that he's now yes. there's some breaking news about that that we'll be talking about and then you had well, a great Eric, interview. Uh, 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 Mayor Major Adams did two revelations today on on the bodega owner. He thought that uh, uh, we should uh, you know reduce the charges and let him out and something like that. And we'll talk about it more. Uh, and uh, the 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 person in Shoprite that slapped Rudy Giuliani in the back, he called the district attorney. And asked him to reduce the charges or something. Okay. Right. And that bodega incident, I think Congressman King and I, we, we talked about this earlier. Right. He says he was defending himself. And you see it in the video that a guy jumps over the counter, looks like he attacks him, and then he grabs a knife and he stabs him and that person died. And It was very complicated. And to me, though, it's so hard to second guess a guy. If somebody's coming at you like that, leaping over the counter... And grabbing at you. I would think my life would be in danger. And I'd exactly. kill the guy. Yeah. You know, and the fact that Bragg charged him with murder one, yeah. that's premeditated murder, right. where right. this guy planned it out. That's outrageous. There is not a chance in hell that there's, this could be murder one. And it How just come you points, have so, a lot of common sense. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of experience. Well, I, and just, I didn't go to Harvard like Bragg, but I think he does everything backwards. He charges this guy with murder one, and he lets violent criminals. People carrying guns right. out wait, on the wait, street wait, wait, the wait. same day. The criminal went home before the the the, the, the store bodega. owner, the, the the bodega owner or, or worker is in Rikers Island, and the criminal went home. Well, this, the, the one was killed, but the other one yeah. who stabbed the bodega worker right. did go home. Yeah, yeah his girlfriend then stabbed the bodega yeah. worker and, a few times. Yeah. By the way, on Sunday— Also, the guy's along rap sheet, I understand. Uh, right, he assaulted yeah. a police officer among killed, yeah. many uh, convictions. A there. couple Just, of days ago, Governor Patterson made big headlines that the rise and fall of AOC, and now uh, where, where AOC lost, what, seven out of nine assembly seats that she backed? That's right, yes. And then uh, there's some new revelations that happened in the Bronx today. Tell us what happened in the Bronx today. 
So the Democratic organization in the Bronx has declined to support the incumbent, who is Gustavo Rivera, and in favor of another candidate whose name I don't know. But the reason that they stated it is they feel he's too far left-leaning and that this defund the police is not going to—it's uh, not going to uh, be a good type of message to send to the people in the thirty-third senatorial district, and so they're going to endorse another candidate. I can't remember the last time an incumbent was removed by his borough's party. Um, Mister Rivera used to work for me. He was pretty common sense years ago when he did, but. Yeah, but you know, all the, the, all, a lot of the common sense uh, Democrats, uh, and we and me and you have discussed it, don't have the courage to stand up in front of the the woke culture people or, or the regressives, whatever you want to call them. Well, you know, John, interestingly enough, obviously uh, conservatives, you know, people who are also Republican, that kind of thing, they were very happy to hear what I had to say. But I have to tell you that <coughs> I'd say... 45 to 50 percent of the people who you know just saw me and commented on it said to me, it's about time we start taking back our own party. So a lot of Democrats feel this way. And it's just that some of the policies uh, are anathema to where the public feels right now. I'll tell you, I was going to ask Lydia for the good news. But but Governor Patterson, that's good news. If the Democratic leadership and the voters are starting to realize the activists in their party have gone way too far left and they have to be pushed aside. But let me say that the Republican Party has to stand up to the extremists in our party Absolutely. and say that we have got to marginalize them as well, you know, on things like guns. You know, I'm all for the Second Amendment. But the idea that an 18-year-old who has a mental history of illness can buy an AR-15 makes no sense. Both parties need to marginalize the extremists if we're going to have a brighter future for this country. And the problem is extremists in both parties control primaries more than they should. More than they should. And that scares off the mainstream candidates. That's exactly right. But we know AOC, to your point, Governor Patterson, she's never been that powerful to begin with. I think the media created this this superstar when in actuality, what, seven of the nine candidates she backed, they failed. Well, one of the incidents that really brought her to all this prominence was when uh, was the... um, company that was coming Amazon. to New York. Amazon. Amazon. Yeah. And they um, uh, were going to do all this work. Governor Cuomo, for whatever reason, and I sort of understand that when you talk to too many people about it, then the story gets out and you could lose the opportunity. I get that. But apparently he had not talked to any of the elected officials where these facilities were going to be located. He had a press conference and said he was changing his name to Amazon Cuomo. And, um, and the the local elected officials didn't like it, regardless of their political points of view. They None of them liked it because he didn't talk to anyone. Somehow, the article got written when they moved out that it was AOC that drove them out. She wishes she could drive them out. And I think that's where the sort of, um, uh, you know, where the, the notoriety and all the attention started to come her way. Anytime something happened... From the progressive side, she got the credit for it, where people who, you know, are not where she is, but have progressive thinking, have come up with a lot of ideas and didn't get the credit for it. But in those first years, though, she did have success. I think, for instance, Elliot Engel lost the primary. uh, Nita Lowe was basically forced out. Oh, 
Peter, so, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Right. Everyone that lost a primary to, like, the squad, you know, the right. people they were bringing in, every single one of them, if you look into them, Elliot Engel hadn't been in the Bronx since the 90s. Uh, Joe from Queens. Crowley. Crowley. He hadn't lived in his district for 20 years. Anita Lowy hadn't gone to an event in 10 years. These were people who were living off of their reputations from the past. It's okay. They voted the right and, and, and way. There's, there's something in addition, David, uh, Governor. You know what addition? And when we had at the Police Athletic League dinner, the head of the FBI in New York, he is looking into foreign money influences in our congressional elections. And there is a foreign country giving money to uh, and this is I got from other sources. And, and Peter, without mentioning names or anything, there's a f- you're talking to pick, Michalos, yeah, yeah. Peter Michalos, uh, a foreign country giving money to a hedge fund uh, with the, an American citizen of that foreign country's heritage, and laying in money to congressional elections to to make the who they want to win win. Well, there are some PACs that are being looked into and investigated, and there's some patterns that have to be looked at. But uh, you'll hear about it first probably on WABC. Well, we did say that you get news uh, all the time first on WABC before you get anyplace else. You're, you're here. It's really true. Absolutely. And I, now we have our guests on the line. We have Tom Homan. He's a former ICE director, and he's going to tell us what the heck is going on at the border, which is spiraling out of control with the sex traffickers and the fentanyl. Tom Homan, what is the latest? And welcome back to Cats at Night. Hey, thanks for having me. I, I apologize. I was late. I was, I was on TV. When <laughs> we, were, we were watching you. Yeah, that's why he's not picking up. <laughs> Okay, so look, what's going on right, right now is that, you know, we have lost control of our border. The United States of America has lost operational control of the border. And that's just not Tom Holman saying that. you got chief patrol agents saying that. One chief patrol agent used the term broken arrow with me. He says we can't contain what's coming across that border. And that's evident on two numbers. Number one, they've had 865,000 gotaways. These are, these are known gotaways. These are uh, aliens caught on camera, drone, or sensors that they couldn't respond to because there's 70% of the board shows not on the line. They're in, they're in centers, changing diapers, making baby formula, making hospital runs. So we got 865,000 gotaways, and we got enough fentanyl that came across that country because 70% of the board aren't on the line that killed over uh, 112,000 Americans. So this is when you know we have lost operational control of the border. We got nearly a million people across that border that, that weren't arrested and enough drugs to kill 112,000 Americans. The board is out of control. And the secretary continues to purge himself and gets on national TV and says the board is closed and is secure. Listen. And it's just not enough Americans that have died. A record number of migrants have died. We're almost at you know, a little over 800 migrants have died on U.S. soil since Joe Biden became president. If, if, the, so, if the secretary of Homeland Security is giving those orders and allowing it to happen, either he should resign or, or face treason. I mean, when you're allowing the borders to be uh, as open as that, I mean, guys, I, I don't want to be the only one that says it. Anybody else have anything to say? John, I'll tell you, I think Joe Biden is violating his oath of office. 
He takes an oath of office to uphold the Constitution <clears throat> and the laws of America. And this open border in Mexico is a catastrophe. Well, it's, catastrophe. it's even worse for the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security. It's not doing his job. How about yeah, releasing they're... our strategic oil reserves and sending it over to China while we're still struggling with high gas prices? I don't understand what he's doing. John, I, I work with Tom. and I was uh, uh, When he was head of ICE, Tom, this is Pete King. I was to tell you what an honor it was to see him work. He was. He took the job seriously. He was conscientious. He was straight, direct. Do we miss him today, Tom? We need you back. Well, look, the twenty twenty four. The right guy comes back. I will come back. I'll come back for free. You know, Pete. Great, great hearing your voice. You know, when Washington, when I was when I was starting to command ICE, you know, Washington posted a hit story. I mean, it's obviously a hit piece, but it says Tom Homan deports people, and he's really good at it. Because I deported about one million in three years. But you know what? That's what we need right now. We need to enforce the law. This administration strictly does not want to do it. And as far as your comments, I call for uh, if we take back Congress, they need to impeach Mayorkas on day one. And Biden should be far behind because I agree with what was said. Mayorkas has violated the oath he took. He's the secretary of Homeland Insecurity because this country is less safe under his leadership. He has failed for 17 months in a row, 16 months. And, and, and we just broke a new record last month. Every, every month's a new record. And President Biden, he violated the oath he took. They both took an oath to defend this nation, protect our sovereignty, and enforce the laws enacted by Congress. They're not doing any of it. The nation was in an uproar, and rightfully so, during the Uvalde, after what happened in Uvalde, with those 23 people that died, the 21 children, the two teachers. Yet, what, 55 migrants died sweltering to death in the back of an 18-wheeler, and it's not, it's like barely a blip. Lydia, Nobody this, talks this about it. This is one of the things that has had me most upset. Yes. That is a humanitarian catastrophe. Exactly. And yet you hear about the, other, the mass shootings forever, and appropriately so, but 53 to 55 people dying in the back of a closed van from heat uh, suffocation is a human rights catastrophe. And the media runs one story and moves on and they move on because and, it's a failure of Biden uh, and not just for our security and controlling the border, but it's a human rights failure. Whereas uh, Tom just pointed out 800 or so illegal immigrants have died crossing the border. And I want to commend you and John because you don't hear this. On the big media outlets, mm-hmm. you hear it on ABC, and this is a story that every media outlet should be carrying every day. Well, it Governor, is a human rights catastrophe. Well, Governor, I I agree. I noticed that myself that when the story first broke it was late at night, and I kind of thought it was going to be uh, a national story all day the next day. They might have mentioned it in passing. But it's horrible for that number of people to die. And in, in this country, it happened. Right. And then Tom, when you add up all the numbers, it's it's uh, very unfortunate. Tom Holman, do you Tragic. think Biden has blood on his hands? Absolutely. And here's the lesson of the day. President Trump, when he was the president, we had illegal immigration down 83 to 90 percent. Illegal immigration at its 40-year low. President Trump's policies saved lives. Why? Because when 90 percent less people come across that border, that means there's less death. It's just like if you take 90% off the cars off the highway, we have less highway deaths. Of course you will. When the border is secure, when they know they'll be deported, when they know they'll be detained and deported, when they know there's a consequence, when they know there's no chance of catch and release, the most vulnerable people in the world will not put themselves in the hands of criminal cartels that will treat them badly and, and kill them. Many times rape the women and, 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 and a lot of these migrants die in the hands of criminal cartels like the, the ones in back of tractor trailer. And look, in 2003, 
I was a standing in back with tractor trailer with 19 dead migrants at my feet, including a five-year-old little boy that got cooked alive. So I, I get it. But for those who say Trump policies are inhumane, wrong. His policies save lives, and a lot of them. Tom Homan, thank you for very much for calling in. And we all New Yorkers, all Americans are concerned and, and keep speaking the truth to the people, and, and they'll, they'll absorb it. Thank you so much. Thanks for your great work, Tom. As a native New Yorker, I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You could tell he's from New York, right, by his attitude. Right now on the line, we've got another New Yorker. we got Charlie Gasparino. Charlie, how are you, sir? You guys doing? Good. So tell us what the heck is going on. I'm, I saw one story. The Fed say sharply high uh, rates may be needed to quell inflation. When John Katzmatidis has the answer to inflation, open up the spigots, start drilling right here, but they just don't want to do it. You know, the market was up 300 points today. I mean, it was such a, it's so weird. Um, yeah, I think the listen. I, I, can, can, the short term markets are never never very reliable. Uh, one day you can't really just you know tell the whole story from one day trading. But there seems to be a sort of feeling in the markets that the Fed is not going to keep raising rates. That it's going to be one and done, or maybe maybe one or two more, and we're over. And that the recession will will kick in and it'll be, you know, not as not as deep as as past ones. I mean, that's kind of what the, what the markets are saying right now. I don't know if you can believe that. You know why, Charlie? Because what? it's the right thing to do. Because I believe we have topped out in oil prices. They're reversing themselves downwards right now, and I think they're going to continue with downward pressure, and that means. There'll still be a few price increases in food and other things, but I think we've reached the top of inflation and the numbers are going to start going down. If they raise interest rates, you know how uh, you're at the crap table in Las Vegas and, yeah. the, and, the, and the guy says seven away, you lose? Well, they're going to hurt the whole country on everything. Well, I think the problem is that I, they may have to raise rates. And, I, you know, this might go beyond – you know, just oil prices and gas prices and things like like that. It may this this may be inflation that's embedded into the system in such a way that um, that that you have to slow the economy down on the demand side. And of course, the Biden administration and I think people are not seeing this. They're not doing much on the supply side. They are not not drilling for more oil, right? They're they're not decreasing, you know, lightening up regulations at a time where they should. They're certainly not cutting taxes. And so there's not a lot of incentives for businesses to expand. And, you know, you're going to have corporate earnings that are coming in weak. Uh, you know, Twitter just announced that it's a tech company, right? You would think that they'd be somewhat immune for this. They're laying off 30% of their workforce. <coughs> this stuff is... This stuff is starting to hit now. And uh, listen, it's nice that we're not having rampant inflation. But if you we're not having rampant inflation uh, because we're going into a steep re- recession, I mean, that's not good. And I think – remember, that's a little bit what's being priced into oil right now. We're, we're hitting a recession, not that – you know, we've reached peak inflation. It's we're, you know, that people are not going to be driving. They're not going to be doing things. So, this is a very muddled picture. It's it's hard to make sense out of it. I could tell you what the market's saying now. Markets generally like the fact that we're not. We may not have higher interest rates going forward. 
so they'll trade up on that. But you know, I've seen I've seen markets make um, you know do these head fakes before, uh, it, right before the financial crisis hit in 2007. I'm talking November, December 2007. The Dow hit a record. Back then, it was like 14,000, 30. 13.9 or whatever, but it was 14,000 on the Dow uh, because people thought the Fed was going to cut rates. Uh, we might hit a recession, but you know, Fed rate cutting will, will repair the bank's balance sheet. There was a whole theory. And as you know, within a couple of months, Bear Stearns went under and the whole thing started crashing. So just keep in mind that you know markets smell these things. We see these things in weird ways. There and it's it's and this is a weird time. We've never had this much liquidity pumped in the system and you know there is a need there may be a need for massive amounts of it to come out to to stabilize things governor pataki yeah charlie when uh larry summers was commenting on the the washington uh billions trillions in stimulus he was saying how it was going to fuel inflation and it shouldn't be done and he right. was right uh and now he's saying that to get down to two percent <throat> we're going to need five years at five percent unemployment to be able to get there. What is oh, your you reaction go. to that? I mean, you see, I don't know if that's true. Remember, he was the big secular stagflation, stagnation guy, remember? He's saying we're, you know, because of forces outside the control of policymakers, we're going to have low wage growth. We're going to, and a lot of this is globalization, competition across the globe, and other factors that are just going to make, make, make Americans, uh, 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 essentially hurt the standard of living of average Americans. If you remember going back to the Trump years, that's not quite what happened when they instituted fairly significant supply side policies. We actually had decent wage growth. We had we had construction workers making more money, average people making more money. We did have a very I mean, not everything was great. I mean, you know, Trump Trump imposed tariffs that had some that had impacts that sliced off some GDP. But for the most part, things were doing pretty well. So that's remember this is Larry Summers who said that. Uh he's not Nostradamus. Uh, um, and he's not, you know, he's 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 a, he's a typical, he's a, he's a left of center economist. So, I, I I'm not in the camp that we have to suffer through this. Um, we will suffer through this because the Biden administration shows no no uh, no signs of changing its its stripes. It's going to be a progressive. I, this is why I can't understand why people are so why the left is so mad at Biden. He gives them everything. I mean, his cabinet and the infrastructure of his regulatory agenda of of his regulatory agencies, they're all leftists. I mean, and that's why you're not going to get growth oriented policies coming out of these guys. So, you know, George, I, I can't tell you what's going to happen in the future. I can tell you this. If you have restricted, restrictive fiscal policy and restrictive um, monetary policy, you're going to have a recession. And, and there's some breaking news coming out from CNBC and the Washington Post. Elon, Elon Musk's deal with Twitter is in peril. Yeah, what do it, you hear? You know, it's been in peril now. for the. I've read the Post story. There's really nothing new to this other than he may pull out, but we knew that. Um, I, what's really in peril for Elon Musk right now is his Tesla company and his stock of Tesla. And remember, he was going to fuel the Twitter bid with that with this with his stock on Tesla, which is getting decimated right now. As you know, also Tesla lost its claim to be the number one EV manufacturer. I believe it's it's it got dethroned by some some EV. I I don't know which one. I just know I read the headline. 
but you know he's got monet- money problems himself. I mean, you know, okay, he's he's now only worth like two hundred billion, right? I, I get that, but you know, you understand what I'm saying? His he has to finance a forty four billion dollar purchase with a lot of that stock, and that stock is is declining in value fairly rapidly. Uh, so he he's he put put a hold on the deal. He said weeks ago. I know that there are bankers trying to figure out a way to creatively finance it. So you know maybe these two stories are out there just to signal that he's ready to make his move one way or the other, whether he's going to demand a lower price, which most people thought, or will he pull out altogether? If he does pull out altogether, John, uh, it's going to be really a, a, an amazing story because not only does he have to pay the billion-dollar breakup fee, but they're going to take him to court. And they're going to try to get a judge to impose through a court order the 5420 price that he initially paid, the $44 billion that he initially said he was going to pay. Because remember, he waived due diligence, okay, and he said it was his last and final offer, so they had to take it. And now he says he wants out because he's make he's theoretically saying that, well, you know, I, don't, I can't verify how many accounts that they had. Well, he – that may be the case, but guess what? He, he missed his chance to do deal, due diligence. Right. They could sue him for a yeah, breach of contract. Him. They're going to sue him. They are. No, there's no doubt. There's no doubt they're going to sue him if he, if he walks away. I think a lot of people think there's going to be some middle ground that, that they're going to figure out a price because he – unless he wants to – I mean, who knows with this guy? I mean, I could see him walking <laughs> away. I mean, you know, he's so uh, – I mean, you know, he, he is what he is. You know, they say he doesn't – he goes by total gut instinct. He doesn't read balance sheets. So I, his gut may be saying, I got to get away from this deal soon, you know, as fast as possible. But, you know, he doesn't have a good legal case to just blow it all off. Um, and he, he's going to be owing more than a than billion dollars. They're going to say, you came to us, you said last or final, you, you blew off due diligence, and now you're raising this thing about, about bots being more than what we say. Prove it. And he'll go before a judge and say, I can't, can't do this. And they'll say, well, here's what we gave him. And you know, the, the judge could literally, literally force him to do the deal. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Charlie Gasparino. We have to go to break and we still got a great show for everyone. We'll be speaking with Michael Dowling of Northwell Health. We'll be talking to Curtis Sliwa, who went to the hearing for that bodega worker. There is some breaking news on that front you don't want to miss. And we'll also, John, you spoke to Nigel Farage. We'll also be talking to Dr. Peter Mikolos. Of course, you want to learn how to live longer. Keep it right here. Cats at night. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. He knows New York. He loves New York. He is New York. He's got plenty of ideas on how to bring change. He is John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katsimatidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line, we have Michael Dowling. He's the president and CEO of Northwell Health. And it's an exciting day for all Americans. Is a nurse there, Sandra Lindsay. She received the Medal of Honor. She received the first COVID shot. I also had the pleasure of interviewing her as well for WABC Radio. Uh, Michael Dowling, how are you, sir? I'm doing wonderfully. Thank you. You have a few of your friends here in the studio with us. We have Congressman Peter King and uh, myself, John Katsimatidis. Uh, do you know this gal uh, uh, personally? 
Oh, I know her very, very well. I've known her a long time. She's an absolutely extraordinary nurse, a wonderful leader, an immigrant from Jamaica, very, very successful, and uh, we are proud of her. And as a member of the Northwell family, we could not be more proud. And, of course, she represents nursing not only at Northwell but across the United States and is a great representation of everything that they've done during COVID. Tell us all the good things she did at Northwell to earn this medal. Well, uh, she was the first person to get the COVID vaccine. And um, she then became a very, very strong advocate of uh, educating others for why taking the vaccine was so, so important. She's an absolutely wonderful communicator. Um, She's the director of intensive care at Long Island Jewish Hospital. And a, a wonderful leader and a wonderful manager. And so given her role as a major advocate nationally for vaccine vaccines during the COVID crisis, I think she was a very deserving winner indeed. And we are unbelievably proud, as I said. Michael, this is Peter King. As I always say, I'm proud to work with you, for you at uh, Northwell and the great job that you've done. When you were in yeah. the, the midst or the height or the depths, whatever you want to call it, of the COVID crisis back in 2020, did you ever foresee a day like this when actually you know, one of your nurses would be honored by the President of the United States? Uh, well, I'm an optimist, as you know very well, Peter. Uh, but back in the beginning uh, in 2020, uh, uh, you know, things did not look good at that point. But you've always got to be positive. And uh, given, this, uh, given the quality of the people that we have working for us, people like Sandra Lindsay, I'm never, ever surprised when great things happen. Uh, but this, however, is an extraordinary honor. And she will be the first to tell you that she was absolutely blown away when she got the phone call. So um, she's very humbled by it. And all of us are. Uh, but it's wonderful recognition of the great work that all the frontline staff, especially nurses, uh, did all during the height of the COVID crisis, especially back in 2020. I mean, they all deserve um, our, our respect and they all deserve honors. And uh, Sandra is a good representation of all of them. Uh, Michael, yeah, that's George Pataki. It was great working with you as well when I was governor. Hey, George. Um, hi. Um, I've been in Ukraine a couple of times since the war broke out. And my little group has been trying to provide humanitarian aid. And I know you and Northwell have been doing things to help out. Could you talk about what you've done and what you hope to do in the future to help the refugees from Ukraine? Well, uh, great great to talk to you, George, and thank you for everything you're doing. Uh, Right at the very, very beginning uh, of the Ukraine crisis, we sent a plane load of of supplies there. And we continue to provide assistance like that. But one of the things that we've been doing more recently – which is very, very unique. Uh, we connected with about 10 hospitals in the Ukraine through telemedicine. So the doctors and the nurses from the hospitals in the Ukraine can, uh, using telemedicine, connect with our doctors and nurses here so that we can provide clinical advice about what to do with the specific injuries that they're dealing with, both civilian injuries and military injuries. And I've actually observed many of these interactions. So uh, we are going to be doing everything we possibly can, working with um, as many organizations as we can to help out as much as we, as we should. Uh, this is a responsibility and an obligation of all of us uh, to do those humanitarian things uh, when it is necessary. So we're very proud of what we are doing, but um, 
it's it's the result of what everybody's doing that will make the the eventual difference here. And uh, we're here. To, we are always available to provide as much assistance as we possibly can when uh, groups and individuals or countries are in trouble. Michael Dowling, uh, you must be awfully proud for the Northwell Hospital, uh, all the hospitals, and all your employees. And uh, and God bless you. And another friend of mine, uh, a friend of all of ours in the studio, Father Alex Carluzos from the Southampton Church, got the Medal of Freedom too. Absolutely, and my congratulations to all to him and to everybody who got it today. And Michael, uh, also, there was a rumor that you had COVID. Thank you. There's a rumor you had COVID, but you sound stronger than ever. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm quarantined at home. Um, and um, I got to tell you, I mean, I like to go to work every day. So being quarantined is not great for me, but I feel great. I avoided COVID for the past two and a half years. But, you know, the fact that I we've had vaccines and the fact that we take the boosters, vaccines work. And for anybody listening, um, please understand that vaccines work. And if you do get the COVID, it's like a it's like a cold or a flu, and uh, you will not, in all likelihood, and in most cases, not end up in the hospital. That's not a good place for you when uh, when you have a situation like this. So, um, get the vaccine and get the booster. Michael Dowling, stay healthy. We need you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Nice to talk to you all, guys. Thank Appreciate you. it. And we're going to take a break. And when we come back, uh, Curtis Sliwa has an updated report on the bodega owner. This poor guy, uh, he's defending himself, defending the, his store. And he, the criminals never go to jail. They he charge goes, them with murder. Yeah, and he got murder one. And he goes to jail. It doesn't sound fair. Let's, let's take a break and we'll come back. We're back, and uh, we have some new revelations for you. Curtis Lewa has been on top of this uh, bodega uh, stabbing, and uh, the, the you know the criminals always get to go home for dinner. Uh, the the store owner that was defending his store he ended up in Rikers Island, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, Curtis Lewa give us give us a, a fast but detailed situation. What the heck happened? Well, we went down to the court, uh, 100 Center Street. Uh, uh, Jose Alba, he's 61, has been remanded to Rikers Island. Initially, $500,000 bail or $250,000 in cash. We joined his family and friends. They were terrified, Dominican uh, immigrants. They were thinking the worst. Uh, And then after lunch, uh, the judge came out and overruled uh, what the uh, district attorney had asked for. And said, look, I'll tell you what, family, come up with $5,000. I'll post a 50000 bail, uh, but if you put $5,000 down, we'll release him. You've got to sacrifice his Dominican passport. He's got to wear an ankle bracelet and come back July 20th for further proceedings. If it was up to me, I think in most New Yorkers, uh, John, he should have been cut loose at that moment, turned back to his family so he could go out and make a living and support his family because he's the victim here and the criminal got what he he deserved. He came over the counter. I used to manage a McDonald's at night, John. You a supermarket. There are other people out there in retail and wholesale. I would have used my baseball bat over that famous baseball bat that I had. Well, so right. Curtis, to make it clear, he's charged with murder, right? Murder one. 
I mean, we're not talking manslaughter. We're talking the top charge. This is Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg. So the judge had to supersede the DA's office today. To his credit, Eric Adams earlier in the day said, we really need to leave this guy alone. He was just protecting his store, protecting his rights as a vendor. All New Yorkers have been siding with this uh, Dominican uh, merchant. Originally, he owned a bodega. Now he's working at a bodega. Uh, and uh, now imagine he's not going to be able to earn money uh, because he's going to have to stay at home with an ankle bracelet. He's under supervised release. But the guy, the 38-year-old guy that he killed who came over the counter, threatened him. You can see the video. Already had eight charges against him for violent crimes. And it was his uh, girlfriend, his the mother of his child, who really set all this up. Uh, she tried to pay for products with a, a uh, swipe card a food stamp swipe card that uh, was not was rejected. And the vendor said, I'm sorry, I, I can't let you take these products. She got into a beef, said, I'm going to get my old man, came back, and he tried to bully the vendor, and the vendor did the only thing he could as he was being pummeled and then pushed. He, pulled, he got the knife that had been hidden, stabbed him as it was a struggle, and guess who stabbed the Dominican vendor? The woman. She pulls a shiv out of her pocketbook. And no charges. And starts stabbing him. And no she, charges. And she got to go home for dinner. <clears throat> Not only that, but if you walked in the neighborhood like I did with the Guardian Angels, 139th and Broadway, people will tell you he did us all a favor. That was a bad guy who used to intimidate us, extort us, shake us down, and beat us up. This guy, this Austin Simon, he's a career criminal, ex-con. He's been convicted of assaulting a cop. So this wasn't some angel. Curtis said, yeah. I ask you, <clears throat> Governor Patterson. The video shows this guy jumping over the counter, attacking him, the girlfriend attacking him. How can Alvin Bragg's office have charged him with murder one? That's premeditated so, murder. He didn't clearly, he couldn't plan this guy right. jumping over the counter and attacking him. So that the listeners understand, um, the difference between murder and manslaughter involves intent. Second degree murder is described as a depraved indifference to human life. In other words, you had no uh, business doing the things that you did. You killed somebody. It's second degree murder. First-degree murder involves malice of forethought. In other words, you planned to do this. So I don't understand how a uh, supermarket owner could have planned to kill a person who ran in the store and jumped over the counter against him. Or maybe planned to do it when he got the knife away from him, but that was two seconds before he stabbed him. I have no idea. And, Curtis, I was wondering if you would explain why the charges would be ginned up to that level? Well, I think it's just Alvin Bragg. Let's face it. If uh, if it were the reverse, if, let's say, the criminal had uh, stabbed and killed the bodega owner uh, behind the counter, he probably would have been sent to a diversion program. Wouldn't have even gone to jail. But because it's a, a merchant, a vendor, he's got to pay all the taxes. He's got to pay <laughs> all the bills. Uh, he ends up getting jammed up. This... Uh, uh, I'll explain what it was. It was street justice. This is what happens in the streets when you don't have enough cops, when you don't have law and order. People are going to take the law into their own hands because they have no other choice. They have no other choice. We've been saying well, this Curtis, on Cat in a way, He didn't even do that. He took the weapon away from the attacker and killed him. No, he had his own. Oh, he had his own weapon. Yeah, it was hidden. This is where all the bodega workers <laughs> and also the would hide the weapon. her knife to attack the right. bodega runner. Yeah. I mean, this Sorry, is a horrible incident, but I think it reflects on Brack. Uh, Bragg is a horrible district attorney. He violates his oath of office every day. He does. He he's already said there are certain laws he's not going to enforce. That is a 
you can't have a democracy where the prosecutor says, I'll enforce the laws I agree with, but not the other ones. Uh, The governor has the power to remove him. She should have done it long ago. If she doesn't remove him, then all the efforts Adams is making to get tough in crime are going to go nowhere. The criminals are emboldened. They know they can do whatever they want. There are no repercussions. They may not know the DA's name, but they know from their friends that they can rob this one, attack that one, and they get released just a couple of hours later. That's why he went in there and he went to attack the guy, never thinking that the clerk would actually fight back. I I saw the video. It's hard to watch. I think had he not fought back, he would be dead right now. Well, I have a perfect example. You look at those three girls gone wild down on Ludlow Street at the burger joint. They come over the counter. They totally destroyed the business because they were asked to pay $1.75 for some extra sauce on their fries. And they broke up the place. And nothing's going to happen to them. Why? Because it's in Manhattan. That's right. It's in Manhattan. Mayor well, I will Adams- say this. I don't think any jury will convict him. I hope you're right. And Mayor Adams actually stuck up for the bodega worker. Take a listen to what he said. It's time for New Yorkers and Americans to start standing up for people who follow the law. And that's what I'm going to Okay, well, the audio wasn't that good, but he said it's time for New Yorkers to stand up for what's right. So he... The fact that Mayor Adams actually stuck up for this guy. Oh, yeah. And now, you know, and now but- we got to elect Zeldin governor because day one he said, and he will, he will fire uh, Alvin Bragg, which a governor has the right to do. Governor Pataki, do you think uh, do we do you think I, I, if I was if I was Mayor Adams, I'd be campaigning for, for Zeldin because Zeldin will actually work together with him. I would, and, and certainly get things be, done. I would certainly be pressuring Hochul to do something. The no-bail law. But she's not uh, listening. Brad, she's beholden to the AOCs and the I know, squad. She's terrified of the Democratic left, and it's right. just a tragedy for the no, city. There and, we go again. Yeah, AOC exactly. got in this conversation. But, <laughs> you know, think about, you know, it's horrible what happened in the bodega. But think about if you're a cop and you, you see someone robbing a store. Are you going to risk your life knowing that person's going to be out on the street in an hour or two? And they might sue you. You might be brought up on charges for making that you arrest. Lose your uh, it, you, we're seeing massive numbers of police step aside, retire, move on. This is a disaster that is just going to build unless Hochul does something about this. And so far, she's done nothing. Nothing. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Curtis Sliwa. Keep us posted. I know you're on top of this story, and you're are you patrolling that bodega area yeah. in Hamilton yeah, Heights because sure. they can come but, back? Uh, for, let me tell you, you know, that's people, my old neighborhood, uh, Curtis. Right, but 139th Broadway, they're having parties because they're saying the guy got the bad ombre. The bad ombre will never bother anybody mm-hmm. else on that block again. Okay. All God right. bless. God bless America. Thank you, Curtis Sliwa. We're going to take a break right now, and when we come back. Uh, we're going to have Dr. Michalos to uh, talk about uh, uh, a few things and uh, a few other interesting things. Let's take that break. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. You're commuting home with Kevin.
Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis on 77 WABC. Well, we're back, and uh, a very, very sad occasion. Uh, uh, our friend uh, John McLaughlin, uh, he was on with us, and I think he he was on with us on Monday or Tuesday, mm-hmm. and he lost his father this, a couple hours later. Mm. And uh, t- tell us, uh, I got a little paragraph from him on his dad. Uh, right, his about. his um, he said his uncle Frank wrote it, and um, they were married. He was married to his mother for sixty one years, and this is posted by uh, Uncle Tommy. This is John McLaughlin's uncle. Today, I not only lost a brother, but a true friend that has shown up at countless basketball games to support us, whether it be at Fordham Prep, at St. Barnabas, at Fordham. University at UMass, at Harvard, at the Palestra, at St. John's, at Holy Cross, Notre Dame, Princeton, UVM, at Pace, at Fairfield, Bryant, Merrimack, and at numerous AAU tournaments and at the world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden. If a McLaughlin was involved in a basketball game, Walter was there with his trusted pencil to keep accurate stats and ready to evaluate your performance. And then he goes on to say that he grew up in the high section of the Bronx, um, moving to beautiful woodlawn section of the Bronx, which I know very well. And it just goes on to talking about what a great man he is and that all he he was working, uh, walking, he was a walking calculator, so to speak, and had to pass 10 exams administered once a year to qualify all this while raising a family of five in an apartment across the street from the Woodlawn Cemetery. So an amazing person, and he died at the age of 90 years old. If I could just say, the McLaughlin family is a great family, and John McLaughlin was my post for 28 years. And believe me, I wouldn't be in Congress if it weren't for John McLaughlin, and I wouldn't have stayed there. And, and, so, he, and was my was poster, he was my poster when I ran for mayor in 2013. Uh, Governor Pataki, did you know him at all? Oh, sure, I knew him very well. He was just someone I always respected. He had brilliant political insight and just a tremendous person. Well, a moment of silence for a... Uh, a Walter. friend and uh, uh, and the uh, father of a friend that we we all know and love. Well, it's uh, always tough to lose a dad. Well, he he lived till ninety, and now maybe we can live to a hundred, hundred five, ten. If you listen <laughs> to Doctor Peter Mikolos, what is the latest? I know we're experiencing somewhat of a COVID surge. Can you tell us about it? Well, first of all, what I want to tell people, there are two different kinds of viruses, DNA viruses and RNA viruses. And uh, the flu is an RNA virus, coronavirus is RNA virus, but this monkeypox is a DNA virus. The difference is that DNA viruses are more stable, just like the shingles virus is a DNA virus. That's why you don't hear about it mutating all the time and updating the vaccines all the time. But what's happening is we're seeing these variants, these shots that we're getting right now, do help boost our immunity, but they're kind of useless, as we're finding out, against the uh, original Alpha and Delta variant. We have these new variants now, the BA5, which is 54% of the cases, and the BA4, which is 17% of the cases. And uh, the FDA last week very smartly said that uh, vaccine companies, please, you got to start making some variant-specific vaccines. So we're looking forward to having some variant-specific vaccines and uh, the other thing is that if uh, with the monkeypox, if you have a runny nose, sore throat, persistent cough or pustules, uh, those things to watch out for and avoid contact with other people. The good news is the monkeypox is not as contagious as the other viruses, and usually it resolves on its own within two to three weeks. And those who have been vaccinated against smallpox in the past have a certain amount of protection, again, because it's a more stable DNA virus and your immunity actually still hangs on like some of the 
childhood immunizations that we got. So that's the good news. Even though there are about a thousand cases in the United States, it's not it does, it's not as contagious and it's not spreading as wildfire. And we do have treatments now. So if you test positive uh, for monkeypox, uh, you probably will be fine. And if you test positive for coronavirus, we now know it's more contagious but less lethal. As most pandemics in history, they become more contagious because they want to survive and live, but they learn not to keep killing their hotel host, the human. And uh, that's the good news. And the IV antibodies by Eli Lilly, the Beltelavab, are working great, and they're available all over the place now. The hospitals have them, private infusion clinics, and there are all antivirals as well. So we're in a much better place. And uh, we look forward to having variant-specific vaccines, they say, by the fall. A monkeypox. I don't. I see we're seeing uh, what six thousand doses here in New York City, and they're trying to determine who gets it because so many people want it. Well, I think they're going to try to give it to people who are potentially high risk individuals. But again, we don't really have to worry that much about it because your chances of dying from monkeypox are extremely, extremely low. It's just sort of a smallpox, and the smallpox vaccine works on. The smallpox vaccine has a. 85% cross-reactivity to it. But in 2019, actually, they approved it in the United States. There was a monkeypox vaccine developed in, by the Danish, and it does work. And we actually ordered uh, before, uh, during the Trump administration, they actually ordered like 14 million doses, and they approved it then. And right now there is a pandemic task force that is on top of things and uh, watching the various virus out- outbreaks, and we've learned that healthcare is national security, and we need to be prepared for the next pandemic. We need to make our medicines here, <coughs> our masks, our gowns, our gloves, and even the medicines that are made, for example, in India, uh, the majority of the components are still made in China, so we have to uh, fix up our supply chains and start making things here, everything from rare earth minerals to antibiotics to antivirals to all our medicines because uh, we can get into trouble, as we learned last time. We don't want to get caught in a situation like we did during COVID. And uh, the other thing, we just heard, talked to uh, Michael Dowling, and, and for the first time in two and a half years, he had uh, the COVID or whatever he had, the BA. And uh, other other friends of ours had it too, uh, friends of both of ours. And he it's more catchable, whatever's going around more right More contagious because we're not dealing anymore with the original variant. The thing that vaccines do is the original vaccine was against the alpha and the delta variant, so it actually boosts your immunity, increases your T cells, so there's some cross-reactivity. That's why we also saw less cases of the flu because it actually protects you <laughs> somewhat against the flu. But what happens is that without new vaccines to specifically target, we're still going to see breakthrough cases. The good news is that you're not ending up hospitalized. And we're also learning things like we talked about the vitamin D levels over 50, less chance of being in the hospital. Uh, People who are overweight, high BMI, 78% of the deaths were in people with elevated BMIs and obesity. So these are all things we're learning now. Glutathione levels were lower in people who ended up hospitalized. So we're learning a lot more, but we're in a much better place and treatment is available. And thank God for Operation Warp Speed that brought us all these amazing medicines at an amazing pace. And we need to continue uh, to stay vigilant to protect the the public. What else would you like to talk about? You know what? I wanted to ask you about metformin. I'm hearing a lot of doctors prescribing metformin to a lot of people. Yeah, metformin is made from French lilacs and it turns out to be a powerful anti-aging drop, a a drug. 
and it also has a protective effect. Those who take COVID, who had COVID, uh, had less death rate on metformin. It turns out to be anti-aging, and overall, a twenty-three percent less chance you're going to get cancer if you take metformin. How much metformin? Five hundred milligrams is the average dose, and it depends on wow. your weight. So you don't have to be diabetic. It's made from French lilacs. You don't have to be a diabetic. We're, Many I take it every doctors. day. Guys, we're, I, so take, I. I take 500 milligrams every day. I take it. Uh, slow release. Governor Pataki, Governor uh, Patterson, Congressman King, uh, and our doctor, our genius, uh, Peter Michalos. Thank you all. And my sidekick, Lydia Serrani. Oh, I got that kid. <laughs> and uh, what do we stand for? Truth, Truth, justice, justice, and the American American way. way. God bless America. Thank you.